Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. So, uh, as most of you are aware, uh, Sharon and I have been away this past four months. Uh, By far, the longest we've been away in our 30-year pastorate, three months of sabbatical followed by one month of my annual study intensive, and it really has been an amazing time. But uh, I can't tell you how good it is to be back home at TLCC. feels great to be back. And, of course, we, we missed all of you immensely and, and look forward so much to getting back uh, to our life together. I want to take just a minute and say a huge thank you to our board and elders and presbytery for their blessings and prayers and oversight and engagement during this time. And uh, a special thank you to my dear friend Dan Dean and his wonderful wife Becky Dean. And uh, our son and daughter-in-law Christian and Amanda for the special role that they played here this summer. And, uh, of course, for our just fantastic staff team who have continued to move the mission forward and uh, who've done a great job serving all of you this past uh, summer. And, and for uh, particularly our pastoral team who has just, from everything I'm told, just done a great job stepping up, uh, speaking on Sundays and doing so many other things. I'm, I'm very, very grateful. And, you know, to all of you, thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being supportive. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for being who you are. You know what the reality is? This is a great church. And it's a great church not because of any one of us. It's a great church because God, of God's grace on all of us. And uh, I am just really grateful to all of you. So, Lord willing, during this next season, I'm going to have the opportunity to share some of my experiences and learnings from the past four months in ways that will encourage you and inspire you. I want to begin today with something uh, perhaps a little odd that will speak to part of what I've been up to, but more importantly, speak to what we're going to be teaching about today and in coming weeks as we launch a new series On the first day of this new trimester here at TLCC, this new series, as you've already heard, is called Parabolic. It's about how the stories Jesus told, the parables, help us hear and see everything in our lives and our world in a whole new way. Again, the parables that Jesus told help us see and hear everything in our lives and our world in a whole new way. I want to show you a video. It's actually kind of a famous video. I'm sure some of you have seen it. It was put together by cognitive psychologist Daniel Simons. Simons was investigating something called sustained inattentional blindness. Sustained inattentional blindness. And in this video, he's going to ask you to count the number of times, I told you this would be a little odd, but I think you'll see why I'm going to use this here in a few minutes. I hope so. Um, He wants you to count the number of times that the people with white t-shirts on pass the ball to each other. 
Now, if you've seen the video, and I'm sure a number of you have at some point in the past, it's a few years old, you've seen the video, please do not give the answer away to your neighbor. Okay, so let's check this out. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? So, how many of you who've never seen the video before saw the gorilla. Actually, the psychologist said the people who see the gorilla are less intelligent than... No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Did you see the gorilla? Here's what Jordan Peterson, the uh, clinical psychologist, says about this idea of sustained unintentional blindness. We point, as it concerns seeing things... We point our high-resolution capacities at the few specific things we're aiming at, and we let everything else, which is almost everything, un fade unnoticed into the background. So if something you're not attending to, something you're not looking at, focused on, paying attention to, uh, the gorilla in this case, you weren't looking for a gorilla, you were looking for people with white t-shirts on passing a basketball and you missed the gorilla standing right in front of your face. If you're not attending to, uh, if it's something you're not attending to pops its ugly head up in a manner that directly interferes with your narrowly focused current activity, you will see it. Otherwise, it's just not there. Seeing, seeing is very difficult, so you must choose what to see. So, you're saying, what in the world did that have to do with your four months away? Well, I had extensive time to focus and to see and hear things from God and His Word, which were already there, but that I needed to slow down and pay attention to. And I saw some gorillas. Now, most of the gorillas that I saw were good. For instance, I had an experience where I was profoundly reminded of God's love for me. But some of the gorillas I saw were not so good. I saw some things in myself that need to be transformed by the healing work of the Holy Spirit. And then some of the things I saw were just about learning more about God and myself and how to fully live the more and better life that he intended for me. But the fact is, I saw things that had been standing there shouting at me, but when you're not able to focus, you miss. Now, we all have gorillas in this way. 
Things that we should see, in many cases need to see, but that we don't see because we're not properly focused. And we could talk about this in a lot of ways, but I want to use this to teach today about how each of us can learn to see and hear what God wants to say to us about himself and how to live in this world, but that we'll only see if we're willing to really focus. Which brings me to this whole subject about the parables. Jesus told parables to reveal truth to those who wanted it. In other words, Jesus told parables so that people who really focused on what he was saying could hear and see things that they wouldn't hear and see about him and this world otherwise. But he also told parables, oddly enough, to conceal truth from those who did not want it enough to really pay attention. Okay? And this is really important. Parables reveal and conceal. Approximately 35% of the teaching of Jesus was offered through parables. Uh, This is called the parabolic teachings of Jesus. He told, depending depending on how one defines and counts them, about 33 distinct parables. And when his disciples asked him why he spoke so much in parables, this is what he said, Matthew 13. This is why I speak to them in parables. These are the words of Jesus. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And now he quotes from a messianic prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but not perceiving. For this people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. I am praying that these next few months will be a time in the life of our church and in each of our lives as individuals where our eyes are blessed and our ears are blessed to see and hear the things that God wants to say to us. That we will not be distracted looking at other things and miss the main thing. The thing right in front of us that if we'd only focus, we'd be able to see. Now, Jesus says then that the parables are to both reveal truth and uh, we understand that the parables also are to conceal truth, which is interesting. Uh, uh, It almost sounds as if he didn't want people to understand what he was saying. But for all kinds of reasons, we know that that isn't true. For instance, later in the same chapter, Matthew 13, where I'll spend most of my time today, uh, and, and in the same context, Jesus said, I will open my mouth in parables. And he quotes from uh, the 78th Psalm, which is a messianic psalm or psalm about the coming Messiah, Jesus. He said, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. I want us to believe that God, in fact, does want to show us things that at this moment may seem hidden to us, but they're only hidden because we're not paying attention. He wants to utter things 
hidden. He's saying, I want you to see and hear and understand and turn to me and experience life in all of its fullness, but I want you to want it. I want you to focus. I want you to really see and hear and listen, to understand. And if you do that, I'll reveal things to you about myself that have been mysteries to others. In another part of the same text, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Matthew's kind of redundant in the way he tells this story. Uh, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus replied, because, and notice this incredible turn of the phrase, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. So a couple things from that passage quickly. First of all, he says, essentially, if you'll really listen, if you'll really look, I'm going to give you the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when he's talking here about the kingdom of heaven, um, for those of you tracking and paying attention to this kind of thing, Matthew uses the word, the phrase kingdom of heaven in the same context in every instance as Mark and Luke, the other two what are called synoptic gospel writers, use the term kingdom of God. So it's important when you I say this only because when you see the word kingdom of heaven here, he's not talking about heaven where we're going to go when we die. There is that place. That's not what he's talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about the rule of God on the earth, uh, whether that be in a place, whether that be in a person's heart. Uh, he's talking about heaven having come to earth, which it did through Jesus Christ, and which rules over those who invite Jesus to be the king of their life. So he's saying, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to give you secrets about the kingdom of God. I'm going to help you understand how I made the world to work. I'm going to help you understand how to live within it. I'm going to teach you how to truly be successful in this life. Uh, I, I, and, and, but then he also says, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Who doesn't have, even what they have will be taken away from them, which is incredibly uh, cautionary principle, which is to say the more you focus and the more you get it, the more you keep getting it. But if you don't focus, if you don't pay attention to what it is God's trying to say to you, not only do you not get it, but you get less and less of it as time goes on. It has to do with the choice an individual makes to really try to see and hear. Okay? And the more you do that, the more of the insights of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven you get, and the less you do that, the less you get. And this is why sometimes this, uh, uh, the word of God is a polarizing thing. Some people get closer and closer, and some people get farther and farther. And it has everything to do with the willingness of a person to want what God is saying and doing. Here, No, so Jesus is saying, essentially, I have secrets that I want to reveal to you, but you have to pay attention. You have to come close enough to hear me whisper. And the more you do that, the more of my kingdom you'll experience. Here's how this passage I just read to you is translated in the, the message. The disciples came up and asked, 
Why do you tell stories? He replied, you have been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. So, again, when we talk then about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven or insights into God's kingdom, depending on which translation you read, it's Jesus saying that he wants to show us how to live in the world as God intended. It has to do with Jesus teaching us how to live under his rule and under his care now and forever and how to live the life God dreams for us in every dimension. Now, just let me, as I set up you know, the next several months of teaching, we'll be teaching this series through the weekend after Thanksgiving, Lord willing. As I set that up, let me just take a few more moments to kind of be technical as to why Jesus taught in parables. One is pretty obvious. It's that stories are captivating. Stories communicate something to us on a heart level that it's hard to grasp through more didactic teaching or just kind of teaching through a thing in a linear uh, way, which I particularly, I like to do that, and I do that, but, but, but it's often the stories to try to supplement the teaching that people remember. We can hear someone stand up and lecture on love, right? But if you watch a movie that has a love story, somehow on a heart level, you may actually understand more about love than you learn through the lecture on love. And everybody learns differently, but stories have a unique ability to convey something to us. You read a novel about love and you feel things that you probably don't feel when you're sitting in a classroom listening to a professor teach about love. Do you understand? And so Jesus was a master communicator, and he told stories. Uh, and, 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 and that's why, you know, some, some people think, and this is fine, this is good, and I did this for many years, and I may do it again in the future. There's nothing wrong or right about this, but kind of the tradition is that a pastor goes to the pulpit, uh, goes immediately reads a text of Scripture, and then talks about what the text says. I tend to start out with a story and, and then go to the text, and the reason I do that is because that's what Jesus did. Jesus, I learned how to do that by watching how Jesus taught. He wouldn't go say, let's turn to Isaiah 6. He, he would tell a story, and then somebody comes and says, why would you tell that story? And then he turns to Isaiah 6. Do you understand? Again, there's not a right or wrong about that. It's just Jesus was a great communicator, and he would captivate people, draw them in by telling them the story, and then he'd bring Scripture in and say, boom, and he'd just nail them, which is what I hope I do to you today. So... <laughs> Uh, all right, but even more, even more, uh, there's this thing where he used the parables to hide truth from those who didn't want it and to reveal truth to those who did. Three quotes from three scholars. First of all, Amy Jill Levine, a Jewish scholar actually who studied the parables of Jesus. She wrote, the parables more often tease us into recognizing what we've always known, and they do so by reframing our vision. In other words, the gorilla, the gorilla, the gorilla, it's always there, it's always there. But if we don't look at it, we don't see it, right? So the parables tease us into what is already there, but 
they reframe our vision. The point is less that they reveal something new than that they tap into our memories, our values, and our deepest longings. And so they resurrect what is very old and very wise and very precious and often very unsettling. Douglas Sean O'Donnell in his commentary on Matthew wrote, Parables have true primary purposes. Parables conceal and reveal. First, parables conceal the truth from those who will not submit to Christ and his rule. And second, parables reveal the truth to those who, by God's grace, will submit to Christ and his rule. And then finally, from uh, uh, the, the great New Testament scholar, scholar Klein Snodgrass, who has an unfortunate name but is a great uh, thinker, writes, God's message is hidden in parables in order that it should be made clear. Parables hide in order to reveal. Or as, and he quotes the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, observed, they deceive a person into the truth. Okay? So, in my mind, I like the connection between the parabolic teachings of Jesus. Again, parabolic teachings being the tech, technical term that's used to describe how Jesus taught through parables. I like the connection between the parabolic teachings of Jesus and the mathematic science or physics behind a parabolic lens or a parabolic microphone. You're familiar with a parabolic lens or a parabolic microphone, whether you're familiar with the science behind it or not. Um, we know that a parabolic lens helps us see things we wouldn't normally see, that a parabolic microphone helps us hear things that we wouldn't normally hear. Well, the parabolic teachings of Jesus will help us see and hear and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And we're going to go full-on parabolic this next few months. Each Sunday, each week, because it won't just be Sunday, it'll be devotion, our devotional writings, our small group discussions, a recommended reading, and so on. As always, we try to take a, a full-on uh, approach to, to, to growing spiritually. Each week, we're going to focus on a particular parable. Now, sometimes, as is true this week, we'll spend two weeks on one parable. Sometimes we may take two or three parables that have a particular theme on a particular week, but we're going to deal over this next, between now till again, uh, the beginning of December, we're going to be dealing with these parables, asking God to bless our ears and bless our eyes to see and hear what it is that he's trying to say to us through these stories. And we begin by dealing with what's commonly called the, the parable about parables. The parable about parables. And this is a parable that uh, Jesus is responding to. This is the parable Jesus told, where I just read to you where his disciples came and said, why do you tell parables? And then he said, those seeing, they don't see, and though hearing, they don't hear. And if they would really look, and if they'd really listen, they'd understand with their hearts, and they'd uh, turn or repent or change, and I would be able to heal them. I'd be able to make them whole. This is a parable he told that set up that whole discourse, which I'll read a little bit of that again, purposely being redundant because there's a lot, you know, to kind of dig into here. Um, this is the only parable that's told in all three synoptic gospels. I realize uh, that uh, most 
a lot of folks may not know what it means to say synoptic gospels. It's actually a little bit important. Uh, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as most all of you know. The first three gospels are considered to be the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke cover the same territory, many of the same stories uh, uh, about the, the, the life of Jesus. The Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, covers a different part of, of who he was. John took a little bit of a different approach. Well, I say that to say that this is the only parable that's told three times, and it's told in each of the synoptic Gospels. Now, it's told a little differently in each Gospel, which uh, is, there's, a, there's a reason, a God-inspired reason for that, that has to do with what the gospel writer was trying to convey to their particular audiences, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it's also important that when you read a parable, this parable, let's say in Matthew, and then you read it in Mark, and, and there, there's a little different twist to it, Jesus, from what anyone can tell, told these stories like any preacher does a number of times. Do you think I'm the only one who tells a good story more than once? Uh, Jesus, he, he didn't just tell the parable once. He spoke many, many times. And he'd tell the parable, and one time he'd tell it, and he'd make, give it this twist. And another time he'd tell it, he'd give it that twist to make a different point. So, so uh, that's kind of a little something that you probably didn't care to know. But I thought it was important that I say nonetheless. Okay, here it is in Matthew 13. He told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a supernatural crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So in this story, Jesus talks about a farmer scattering seed onto four kinds of soil. Three of the soils were ultimately not receptive and did not produce what the seed had the potential to produce. The fourth soil is called good soil, and it produces a supernatural return. I'm not going to get into that so much today. I intend to pick that part up next Sunday and get into these four kinds of soil. I want to focus on the fourth kind of soil today. All right, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And I repeat myself here. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to them, but uh, given to you, but not to them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perce perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They're not good soil. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. And then later when he's explaining the meaning of the parable, which I think this is actually the only time he 
took the time to explain what a parable meant. But later when he's explaining the meaning of the parable to his disciples, he talks about the good soil like this. He says the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. The seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it, which means they see it, they hear it, they understand it with their heart. They're able then to turn and be healed. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. Okay, so let me spend the rest of my time today talking about three observations, very general kind of thing here, three observations about the parable of the sower and the good soil. Is everybody doing okay? You're still alive out there. I haven't put you to sleep. I realize I'm probably supposed to serve you popcorn or something, aren't I? Uh... All right. Sorry, it's not happening, guys. I'm back. All right. Here's, here's the first thing. The seed is the Word of God. I mean, it says it right here in the text. The seed falling on good soil, Jesus said, refers to someone who hears the Word and understands that the seed is the Word of God. So the Word Seed, our English word seed, is translated in this passage, comes from the Greek word sperma. I'm not offering that gratuitously. I'm offering that because it's important. It comes from the Greek word sperma, which is also the Greek word that we get our English word sperm from. The seed has the DNA of the Father in it. And the seed of the Word of God has the DNA of God the Father in it. It is impossible to overstate the significance of this. We're told when we're born again, we're born again by the imperishable seed of the Word of God. Peter's first letter, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. What does it mean to have the seed of God in us? How powerful is his DNA? You may have been born one way, by the seed of your biological father, but when you're born again by the seed of your heavenly father, the seed of your heavenly father is more powerful than the seed of your earthly father because it's the very DNA of God. And when we're born again, we're able, Jesus said in John chapter 3, we're able to see and enter the kingdom of God. We're able to see and enter a new dimension of life, the world as God created it, because we've been born again by the seed of God. A uh, story I have told before, uh, again, trying to be like Jesus and repeating some of my stories. Um, Sharon and I had someone who worked on our staff for us for many, many years, a uh, wonderful woman, uh, very well put together, sharp, sophisticated. But she had a tick where she would constantly, or, or I shouldn't say constantly, but frequently, I mean, once every minute or two, she'd reach up and wipe her nose. And she knew she was doing it, but she didn't know she was doing it. You know, it's just, just, it, was just it was a tick. 
Well, she had been adopted. And uh, as, as an adult, she met her biological father. She's sitting across the table from her biological father, and every couple minutes her biological father went, Well, the seed of the father was powerful in her biology and demonstrated in this way, and I imagine other ways as well. Well, then she had a little baby, and Sharon went to visit uh, her and uh, the little baby in the hospital, little babies uh, uh, lying there, you know, a day or two old, and guess what the little baby's lying there in that little crib doing? The seed of the father informs so much about the life of the child. You, if you've believed in Jesus and been born again, have the seed of God in you. But not only that, then every time the Word of God is read, is preached, is seen in some other dimension of life, the seed of God once again has the opportunity, if it finds good soil, to be planted in our lives in a way that, well, Dallas Willard said that the, that the, that the seed of the Word of God uh, brings structure and form to things. Well, let me take just another moment, and I've told you what seed means, but it's also important to talk about what word means. Because the seed that Jesus is telling the story about, the farmer went out and scattered seed, the seed was the word of God. And so the idea of the seed is powerful, but the idea of the word is even more powerful. Our English word, word, of course, and this is common knowledge, comes from the Greek word uh, logos. And logos has to do with the expression of thought. The expression of thought. It's a really big idea. So in the beginning, when God spoke the word that brought the world into existence, he expressed his thoughts into the created world. Okay? When we're told in John's Gospel, chapter 1, that Jesus was the Word or the Logos made flesh, Jesus was the expression of God's thoughts. God, His very self, showing up in the physical world. All right? So when we're told that the seed of the Logos, the sperma of the Logos, is planted in our hearts. This is an incredibly powerful idea. It shapes everything about our lives. In fact, the way Mark tells this parable, he actually says that we are the seed that's planted, which is to show this is a different way that Jesus told the story on one occasion, which is to say that when the seed of God is sown in us, it has such powerful impact that we actually become the seed of God sown into this world. We become the expression of God's thoughts. We bring structure where there's chaos. We bring order where there's disorder. 
Some of us perhaps are living in lives, living lives right now. There's a lot of chaos and a lot of mess and a lot of disorder. Well, when the seed of the Word of God is planted in you and when you receive it and when you understand it and when you turn, then God can show up and heal you. And part of what He do, will do is He'll bring His creative order. He'll bring His government. He'll structure your life. Form your life in ways that will boggle your mind. This is the potential of receiving the seed of the Word of God. When we receive the seed of God's Word, and this is a long uh, sentence, but I tried to capture this idea. When we receive the seed of the Word of God, we hear and see the thoughts of God. Our lives begin to align with His kingdom. We become expressions of God's thoughts. We reproduce His DNA in this world. We spread His kingdom, and we're able to live the life God dreams for us. Now, how does the Word of God come to us? The Word of God comes to us in many ways. Obviously, the most important way is the Word of God comes to us through Scripture. When we read the Word of God and we really see it, the seed of God is planted in us. When you hear teaching like you are today, I'm a farmer right now scattering seed. And if, and if your heart is prepared to receive it, the seed of God will be planted in you and bring supernatural results. You'll have things happen in your week. You'll say, how did this happen? It's like I had somebody stop me in the lobby earlier today saying they started coming to this church this summer. I wasn't here, so this isn't about me. Started coming to this church this summer, and the, and the teaching, they said, has changed their life. And the person standing there with tears in their eyes. That's what happens when your heart's receptive to the seed of the Word of God. It changes your life. And but the but the word of God comes to us in other ways as well. I like what Ken Geyer wrote in his beautiful book, Windows of the Soul. He said, Everywhere we look, there are traces of his word in history, in the circumstances of our lives, in every nook of humanity, in every crannied flower of creation. And then he quotes from Malcolm Muggeridge, all happenings, great and small, are parables whereby God speaks. The art of life is to get the message. All right, here's the second observation. We must be, it's pretty obvious now, we must be good soil in order to live the life God intended. So the condition of the soil in this parable has to do with the condition of our hearts. The seed planted on good soil had to do with our hearts not being calloused. For Jesus said this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. Do you know that our hearts have eyes and ears? Our hearts have eyes and ears. And we have to learn to listen with our hearts. Took them a while to put the picture up, but I guess you just, it just came up. We have to learn to hear and see with our hearts. What did Jesus say? He said, you know, I've been studying this a lot, so, so I've kind of got the, the rhythm of this in my mind, and it's powerful. I encourage you to get it in your mind as well. He said, when, when you hear the, 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 the Word of God, when you're good soil, when your heart's prepared, you see and hear and understand with your heart, and then you can turn, repent. Change. Turn away from the thing that's messing you up and turn to the one who will pick you up. You turn and Jesus says, then I will heal you. I will make you whole. Okay? So that's what happens when we hear and see with our heart. So uh, 
some of us think we're seeing and hearing and we're not. I, I just Can I ask you to humble yourself in this way with me? Can I ask you to assume that there may be some things that you're not seeing and hearing? Just assume that. Because we're going to ask God to bless our eyes and to bless our ears. And if you think you've already got it all together, guess what? You, you're going to miss the gorilla. Hey, Sharon, my beautiful wife, is a famous low talker. I got her permission to tell the story, of course. She's a famous low talker. You know what a low talker is? She's a low talker, and, um, and it's interesting. I mean, man, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be, and this isn't just my witness. Ask my kids, those of you who know, know this, uh, uh, which I suppose is better than being married to a loud talker, but that's a whole, that's a subject for a marriage series. But anyway, uh, we can be driving down the road. The radio's not on. We're sitting there, you know, a few inches from each other, and she's talking to me, and I don't hear a thing she's saying. Which, which works out well at times. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, but at some point in the last year or two, it's so bad, I'm asking her so often, to, what did you say? Please say it louder, please speak up. She says several times, a number of times, at least that I could hear, she says, you know, I, you need to go get your hearing checked. <laughs> and so at some point, being the good husband that I attempt to be, I went to get my hearing checked. Of course, my hearing's fine, right? So I'm, I, I'm sitting there, uh, and the this the, the the doctor, I guess, the audiologist, would it be, is sitting on the other side of the glass. And many of you, if you're of a certain age, have probably gone through this. And he's speaking into a microphone into the sound boot proof booth that I'm in. Uh, words, and I'm repeating the words after him. So help me, I'm repeating every word after him exactly the way he says it. Every one. He says red, I say red. He says blue, I say blue. He says yellow, everything, at least I thought. He comes in, he gives me the report. It so happens that when he was saying red, I was saying blue. And so on, to where there is a part of my hearing at the conversational level that's missing all kinds of whatever it is you miss when you can't hear someone speak anymore, especially your wife, who's a low talker. And so if I'm in the lobby and you're talking to me and I have my ear down to you, talk loud because I don't hear a thing you're saying and I think I've said, I've learned I've said yes to a lot of things. You call the office, you speak to my assistant, you say, pastor said he'd do such and such, and I'm thinking, I don't ever remember you saying anything to me this Sunday. But anyway, so here's the deal. We pray for us. She's a low talker. I'm a low hearer. Which works out well sometimes. We're driving along in the car. My wife wants to give me directions. Pretty much every move I make when I'm driving, left there, right there, the light's red, the light's green, turn on your turn signal, hit your brake. And most of the time, I just don't hear a thing she says. Ooh, you said what? Oh my, I'm going this direction. But when I really want to hear her, I lean in. And I say, please, if you would, speak up. Like during the, the worship set earlier, she said, <laughs> she said, you did a great job preaching this morning, babe. I heard it perfectly, and I, but I asked her to repeat it just in case. 
just in case. But here's the deal. It's like Dallas Willard, the great scholar, said. He said, when God is trying to speak to you and you're not listening, he does not turn up the volume. He wants you to lean in. He wants you to listen hard. And this is why the parables can reveal or conceal. It has all to do with the condition of the soil. And the soil has to prepare itself by attempting to focus on what it is that God is actually saying. And part of how we know that we've really seen and heard and understood with our heart is that we turn our lives actually begin to be shaped and structured by what God's saying to us in our lives. You know someone who's not growing, someone who's not getting better, someone in whom the fruit of the Spirit isn't being manifest. I don't mean we, we, we go from, 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 from terrible to perfect overnight, but I'm saying if there's not over time evidence, well then we're not hearing. We're not hearing just because we say, oh, I understand that point. You know that you've understood the point, when you take the point and it informs the way you're living your life this week. In fact, uh, R.C. Sproul said that in the Greek language, about this text, in the Greek language there's hearing and then there's obeying what you hear. Obeying what you hear means really hearing it or a hyper-hearing or super-hearing. All right, here's the final point. To be good soil, then, we must pay attention. To be good soil, then, we must pay attention. I like something that the author Emily Griffin wrote about prayer. She said the essence of prayer is to give God our full attention. And I think that this captures what Jesus is saying in this parable. The three unproductive soils, or calloused hearts, were not focused on the seed of God's word and therefore did not hear or see and miss God and all that he offered them. Guys, I promise you that I'm going to do as we move forward what I've been trying to do for many, many years around here. I'm going to do everything I can to kindly and humbly challenge each of us. And I'm going to challenge us to pause, I'm going to challenge us to focus, I'm going to challenge us to pay attention, to pay attention what it is that God, our Father, is trying to say into our lives. And I, I'll finish with a kind of maybe silly little illustration. Uh, a lot of you know that we have this dog named Dietrich. And uh, to repeat myself, uh, Dietrich was given to us as a surprise Christmas gift, Christmas of 2019. It was a gift that I didn't know I wanted. In fact, I didn't want. And then we get quarantined in 2020, and I'm stuck with this dog, and I fall in love with this crazy dog, this little miniature schnauzer. He is, he is a, he's a fantastic dog. And the thing, of course, that's most enjoyable about him is he loves me more than any human being, trust me, has ever loved me. This dog just thinks I'm the greatest. And uh, well, so we got this thing going on. So I love this dog. Now, I, I do need to put up some parameters about what that means. Like I was in a restaurant on the Upper East Side here a couple weeks ago, 
and uh, I was sitting outside as, as, as I like to do, and um, there was a guy there with his dog, gigantic black lab, gigantic dog, and this guy was oblivious to the fact that anyone else in the world existed except this dog. This dog's laying in the middle of the aisle. The, 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 the waiters are scared to death of it and can't get around it. And, and people are getting up to go inside to go to the restaurant. Everything, everything's about centered around this dog. And that's irritating enough. Uh, and I, it did irritate me. And, and, but he, then they, they, they bring the guy his cocktail. And he takes a sip of his cocktail. And... Uh, he wants the dog to taste the cocktail. And so the dog, he asked the dog to get up and he opens his mouth and the dog licks the guy's tongue to get the taste. So I just say that to make a simple point. I love my dog, but I'm not that guy. Okay. I just thought it was important that you get a little understanding that there's loving a dog and then there's, I'm sorry, if you were that guy, you need to see, hear, understand, turn, and be healed. But anyway. <laughs> but I love my dog. And so, so when I walk him, he's, he's a hunter. He's a miniature schnauzer and they're trained to hunt, especially little like, things like chipmunks and and, and mice and squirrels. And so he's, he's on the hunt when he's walking. He doesn't pay any attention to me at all. He's just, he's smelling and sniffing and pulling and he, anything. He's just, he's just very active and, 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 and I'm walking along with him. But every once in a while, I'll, I'll just say, usually about once in a walk, I'll say, wait. And when I say wait, and I actually don't have to say it that loud, I'll just say, wait. And he, stops immediately because he knows what I'm about to do and he raises up on his haunches and it, it well, here, here it is. Wait, wait. You're just a good dog, aren't you? Huh? I love that little boy. You're a good dog, buddy. Yes, you are. And here's what I think, guys. Here's what I think. I think in the busyness of our lives, back to school, back to the normal structure of things, the craziness of this area that we live in, the craziness in our world today, all the things that we're looking at vying for our attention, all the stuff going on, I think that we're entering a season where God the Father wants to simply say to us, wait. Wait, because I have some things I want to tell you. I want to tell you how much I love you. I want to tell you how much you mean to me. I want to tell you about my kingdom. I want to tell you how you can live in it in a way where your life is so productive that it's like a seed that was planted in good soil that produced a hundred times and sixty times and thirty times. But you have to... Wait. You have to focus. You have to pay attention. I think that's what God wants to say to us. Now, would you please stand with me?